Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best and Flanagan, a team dedicated to building uniquely close relationships with all clients, including individuals, businesses, nonprofits, and generations of family members seeking legal advice. Online at bestlaw.com. Best and Flanagan, lawyers you know. The number one thing is just do it, because I think so many people, they think about doing something for so long and just don't do it. And I think, too, there's so many resources available. From Twin Cities Business, this is By All Means, a show about innovation, drive, and purpose, and the leaders who make business work in Minnesota. I'm Allison Kaplan, your host and editor-in-chief of Twin Cities Business Magazine, coming to you from the studios of our presenting sponsor, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, cultivating the next generation of problem solvers and innovators. The school offers undergraduate and graduate programs in entrepreneurship and corporate innovation, as well as community resources to support new ventures, family businesses, and corporate entrepreneurs. And now, by all means. Kristen Denzer is the founder and CEO of Tierra Encantada, a Spanish immersion daycare that is on its way to becoming a national brand. Currently, she has nine corporate locations and two franchise locations open in four states. But there are more than 20 additional franchise units already sold and many more to come. It's already a $22 million business and she's just getting started. Kristen started her career doing evaluations for nonprofits, but she's the sort of person who sees opportunity everywhere. What separates her from most of us? She takes action. When she got engaged and realized how expensive it would be to plan a wedding, she started her own event rental business. As an animal lover, she co-founded a doggy daycare. So you can imagine what happened when she went looking for daycare for her own young children. I had kids and when we moved to the east side and I was looking at centers, there was just such long wait lists and no language immersion. And so it's like, for Tira, we're not the first, we're not the first Spanish immersion daycare. We're not, you know, the first daycare that's had a great meal program, but we are the first that has done everything that we have. And that was really what I put into it was I wanted a place where it had the language immersion. Why was that so important to you? That it was the first or that it had no, all these No, that you, the, the, the language option. Because I think learning a language is super important. And I, the United States is so behind in language learning. I mean, if you look at a lot of the countries in Europe, kids start learning a second language at age six. Mm-hmm. And we just were missing like the best time for kids to learn a second language in the United mm-hmm. States. We just, we really are missing it. And so I really wanted my children, because I learned later. And when you learn in high school, like most of us do, it's so hard to have the correct pronunciation to remember it if you don't use it regularly. Mm-hmm. And so having them learn it at such a young age, it will help them with all those things. It help them like think in that language. Because mm-hmm. when you learn older, you'll never really get to that thinking in it. But when you learn that young, you can. You can do that switching where you'll see like if you come in the center, kids will t- turn to their parent and they'll talk in English and then they'll turn to their teacher and talk in Spanish. And it's just natural. They don't yeah. need a second to think about what they're saying. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Man, <laughs> I think I need to go to your daycare. Um, okay, so, so, so you're, you have little kids. You're looking for a daycare as a mom. You're a busy mom running two businesses at this point and you want a Spanish immersion and you can't find it. And so you, being you, Kristen, says, I'm going to start one? Was it, was it that simple and, and fast? Yeah, I mean, so whenever I have a business 
that I'm thinking about. You know, I typically will spend some time looking at it. I definitely, I have this complicated cash flow projection spreadsheet that I've created over the years where I'll put in some like preliminary numbers. I'll look at it like, is this something that could be, you know, profitable and worth the time? Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I was like, okay, yeah, this could be a great, this could be a great business. And so then, yeah, like once I saw that, it was like, okay, you know, I can do this. I think, I think you start to feel a little bit like, especially when you start a business, start a business and you do well. I mean, because the dog daycare, the event, I mean, it was profitable immediately. There is no like year to profitability. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the dog daycare within a month or two, we didn't even need to be there at all. And it was probably so you just start to almost think like, oh, you're invincible. Like you can do anything, mm. which was a mistake. <laughs> uh, but so I kind of had that mindset like, oh, yeah, I'll start a daycare. You know, I'm going to do this. And yeah. so then I just jumped full in. Like I'm not a person that. I'm like kind of a head first. Like I just, I'm going to do this. Okay, I'm going to do it. And then I do it 100%, whatever I need to figure out. Kids are a little different than dogs, though. A few more needs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, okay, so you have this idea. Where where did you go, especially not coming out of that world and education? I mean, that seems really hard. You don't, isn't there, you've got to have licensing. You've got to have facilities. How long did it take to, to stand up this business? Um, it took about eight, nine months. That's it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I have always, I've always been a person where I want to understand and un- like figure out things. So like, I didn't have a consultant. I didn't hire anyone to help me. I read, you know, Rule Three. I read everything in childcare licensing. I researched everything I could. Like I talked to the licensor, I figured out with the city and the permit and the kitchen license. I mean, like I made sure I understood everything mm-hmm. to do it. And I mean, I was even with some of our projects, I was the general contractor on a couple of our projects because I wanted to understand like the whole process. How did you know there was going to be interest? Were you just that certain that there were other parents like you who would want a Spanish immersion daycare? Yeah, you know, I um, I just assumed there would be because there's these long wait lists. I did nowhere near the amount of due diligence we do now when we look at a site. Mm -hmm. I just was like, you know, and I definitely picked the wrong location for the first one. Mm. Where Um, was it? What was the first one? Egan. Okay. Not that Egan's a bad city, but I, it it took a while for it to be profitable Hmm. longer, you know, longer than I planned, which is why it almost failed. Um, And if I had done, you know, the work we do now, I would have located probably the first one in Minneapolis instead of there. Um, but I think... What's th- what's the difference? Like what goes into your calculations now that didn't then? Popul- so for sure, population density and how, what wait lists look like in the area, mm. but also some demographics. And so looking at, you know, level of education, uh, population, as I would say, is like one of the bigger things because people like to bring, bring their kids to childcare by their home, mm-hmm. not by their work. Mm-hmm. And then for us, because of some of the things that we have, so like, for example, part of our curriculum is that when we you know, have diversity, it's more than just race and ethnicity. It's, we have books with two moms or two dads. And with Spanish immersion, too, you know, they're was some mindset the further out you get from the Twin Cities that didn't necessarily align with those values. Mm. And so I remember one of the very first ads I did for that center, somebody commented on it, this is America, 
you should be teaching English. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and obviously a lot has changed in the last 10 years. But I think that, I mean, it took a year for it to be profitable. I mean, I only had gotten a month or two of working capital. I mean, I, I literally blew through it in the first month. If I hadn't had the other businesses and if my landlord hadn't given me, you know, the rent deferral, I mean, I would have had to fail. There's no way. How did you even find staffing and develop your curriculum? I'm still just hung up on the fact that you did all of this from idea to opening in, in eight months. So for curriculum, initially, we used, uh, it's called creative curriculum. So we use a bot curriculum. Uh, they have it in Spanish, which is really nice. Because I think one thing that people uh, sometimes need clarity on is Spanish is the language through which we teach the curriculum, but we still have, you know, like a STEAM curriculum. And so that's what's taught. It's just Spanish is the language used. So you think about it like when you have little kids, you know, when you have a two-year-old, three, you're not teaching them English, you're just talking to them. And so that's what it is like at the center. You're, you're just talking to them, you're teaching them, but in Spanish. Mm. And so for the curriculum, that piece was easy hiring. Um, I mean, I posted for the director position probably three months before I was going to open, and I found a, a great director, which I think was really helpful, mm-hmm. uh, really helpful, you know, and then, you know, hired. And we, we never had, I guess, like issues hiring teachers, but we didn't need a ton of teachers right away because we didn't have a lot of kids. <laughs> so, uh, so we didn't need, you know, 30 teachers. We needed like three. <laughs> mm-hmm. This was 2013? Yes. Is that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you kind of hung out the sign that, that you're open, I mean, that had to be a scary moment. Did the phone start ringing? Did parents start coming in? <clears throat> No. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like, I mean, I know, you know, as a parent, you're like, oh, brand new. I don't know. Maybe I'd rather go someplace with a proven track record or get referrals. How That seems like it would be a challenge. Yes. Yeah, totally. I mean, I did a lot of things wrong when I started the first location. I mean, because I just had this idea, like, oh, I can do anything. And I had such success with the others that I thought, oh, pff, of course, that's what's mm-hmm. going to happen. And did you fund this with the from the other businesses or did you have to? Yeah. So for the this was the first uh, business I got an SBA loan for. And so I took advantage of the 7A program with the SBA to get the funding for it. And then I used money I just saved up. But then after we didn't do like I thought I would, I, I had to pour everything from the other businesses into it, like mm. everything and max out a million credit cards. Oh, wow. So. Wow. But you were really committed to it to the point that you sold, you ended up selling the other businesses. Did you sell just to keep it alive or because you were that certain that it was going to work? Uh, no, it, was, it wasn't to keep it alive because I didn't sell those ones until 2016. Okay. Uh, it was, the, I just took the money because it took what, a year. I mean, once you aren't doing well, no bank's going to give you more money. And so Make sure you have enough to start. Mm. <laughs> um, the other businesses, that was 2016. And so like the event business at that point, it just, it wasn't as profitable and it was so awful. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> you know, when you talk to anybody that was in the event industry, they will say this. I mean, the event industry is brutal nights and weekends. And when you have little kids, I mean, I remember the last, one of the last weekends of the fall, I had it and we had like over 20 events. And then I had a bunch, like a half dozen people call in. And I was like driving this box truck at all hours of the night, <laughs> setting up, taking down, 
And I mean, it was so stressful and it was so awful. And I was just like, I mean, honestly, I could have probably sold it for a lot more, but I was done. I did not want to do that anymore. And so I just like, I found a competitor that would buy my book of all the books, events I'd booked. And then they took all the stuff for it. And then I just auctioned off like whatever wasn't part of those events. And I was like, I just wanted to be done with it. Done with that. (laughs) Yes. Um, So back to Tierra and Cantata, you, you open, it's not like people are breaking down the door to get in. How did you start to, you know, gain some traction? Um, so, you know, I don't know if I would say necessarily gain traction because it was just such like a slow and steady thing for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, word of mouth is and continues, I think, to be the way most people hear about childcare. Mm-hmm. Most people hear about us. And so, you know, it was one child at a time. When we opened, we had more employees than we had kids. <laughs> Do you remember day. the very first kid? I there is four uh-huh. and yes I actually a couple of the parents like I saw them on Facebook and stuff and so yeah my my son was friends because my my kids went there uh huh <laughs> but how old were your kids when you opened in 2013 so my uh, daughter was two and my son was three okay so at least you were covered for daycare for exactly that. <laughs> I mean I rationalized the loan payment with that I mean it was just kind of like it evened out <laughs> that's so fun yeah daycare is expensive. So so you went from four to just kind of gradually picking up. What what else did you learn in that first year? And from that first one, were you already thinking this is going to be national? This is going to be a chain? This is, I mean, did you have big dreams? Not, no, I wouldn't say like that. Like, I mean, I had never really thought about the idea of being more than one until maybe right when I opened it, mm. you know, and then I was like, oh, yeah, like I want to do another one, you know, once it was actually surviving. <laughs> then I yeah. was like, OK, yeah, like this, this is a great thing. Let's do another one. But the bank I used for the first one had told me they wanted a full year of profitability before they would consider another. One. So I was like, OK, mm. I can do that. Uh, so waited all of 2014 yeah then 2015 i'm like okay i'm ready and they wanted then another year and so i was like (laughs) wait a second yeah yeah and so that's when i was like okay i gotta start i gotta start maybe thinking about another bank Mm. um and i had some real estate at that point too and so that's around the time then too when i was looking at okay maybe if i sell the dog daycare because we also owned the building that that was in so I was selling the business and the building to my former business partner. Then I would have the money to buy the building of the second location. Wow. Sounds, seems like there'd be easier paths, Kristen. <laughs> I mean, you really, <laughs> you really want to be your own boss. Yeah. You really like to, you like all the n- negotiating and moving things around and yeah. thinking about all that. Is, that. is that the part that you get the most excited about? Um, you know, I think I really like, honestly, like all parts of it. And when I learn some new area, I realize I actually really like that area. And I'll give you the perfect example of this finance. So this is one of the biggest mistakes I think I made as a business owner for the first seven years I had a business is I'm not like not good at finances. It was never that. I just didn't really spend the time to understand you know, accruals and things like that, because I hired it out. So that was it. That was a mistake because had I learned it earlier, one, I'd see how easy it was to use QuickBooks well and effectively to get the data you need. Mm -hmm. And it forced me to end up doing it because, what, 
two years ago, I ended up having to, we found a lot of mistakes from the firm we were using. And, and so I literally had to go through, you know, gosh, over $10 million of transactions for the year, mm. transaction by transaction, unreconcile them and make sure they're reconciled. Because somebody that we had hired had actually reconciled and it didn't. And so then I was like, like, how do you do that? So I mean, yeah. And so we had to go back through and, and so it was just like, but I had to learn. I had to learn fast mm-hmm. and I spent months and now, now I know finance very well. And it's just, I wish I would have did it sooner because I would, I would have did things, I think, a little bit better and differently. And so I think back to your question. So I think for learning stuff or what area I like, I honestly like all of them. It's once I learn how to do something, then I like it more because it's like, okay, I get this now. Same with like real estate or interior design or human resource. I mean, it's just, I like all of them. It's just interesting. I like the variety is maybe the better, but like, I really enjoy being able to kind of do things in all different areas. So what about, um, how, how in the weeds did you get when it came to setting up how Tierra and Cantata worked? I mean, setting up the curriculum you know, what was going to be in the rooms, what, did, what a typical day was going to work like. Did you leave that to the people you hired or were you involved in that? So the curriculum I had picked, mm-hmm. um, the classroom supplies I picked. In terms of like the cadence of the day, that was something I partnered with the director I hired to kind of lay out. Um, and as it's evolved now, I, I still like... I pick kind of what's in the classrooms and stuff, and we update and adapt it over time and stuff. But I, it's a team; it's more of a team, you know. Effort getting insight, getting feedback from you know teachers if there's something that does work or doesn't work, or we should evolve or change, you know. So initially, though, yeah, I mean, I did, I did all the classroom picking and and stuff like that. Hmm. I mean, it just seems like so many details and decisions and. It, keeping little kids entertained for a whole day and in Spanish, no less. It's just, it's a lot. That's a lot to to figure out. Well, most curriculum you buy when you buy it, it I mean, it gives you, you know, activities like our, so our curriculum now, I mean, it has the cadence for the day, the lesson plans. It has portfolios of, I mean, I mean, it's like over 3,000 pages. I mean, it's like mm. everything that could possibly need to be known curriculum will have in it. I see. And so a lot of those pieces were in there. The things that I had to really kind of figure out and create was like the policies, you know, that parent handbook policies, the internal employee handbook policies, mm. you know, getting the license, you yeah. know, all of those things I had to kind of figure out. Yeah. And what do you, how do you deal with unhappy parents? Because there's always going to be a complainer in the bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, just had one this morning, actually. <laughs> really? You still have to deal with those. No, you know, so I, parents that have been with us a long time still have my email from earlier days because there wasn't, it was only me. There was no corporate staff until a few years ago. And Hmm. so from 2013 until 2020, it was me. And so if there was an issue, I was the only person, me and, and all these center directors. And so a lot of them still have that. And if they don't feel, you know, heard, then they'll email me. And Mm so... Um, and I, you know, I care. So like, I want to understand then like what's going on with the situation. And so then I like to make sure I fully understand to see like, at what point could we have done better for our families? You know? And so, yeah, I mean, you, you deal with it, but I think for me, like, I always just try to think about it from their perspective and talk to my staff about this too, is 
it is more than just an unhappy customer. I mean, we are caring for their children. Yeah. And so it's big responsibility here for them to have high expectations of us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think a lot of times it's just not great communication. Maybe they didn't know something. Maybe we didn't share something well mm-hmm. enough. And so I think that's a big piece of it. And it's just trying to come at it from that angle. Did you learn from your own kids? Were they, I mean, they were kind of the, the best guinea pigs you had. They were the first to go through the, the curriculum. Yes, yes, especially when it comes to biting, <laughs> because I had a biter and a child that was bit. And so I know the perspective, and I've heard from families on both sides where, you know, when your child's the one being bit, like you're like, you feel horrible, like yeah. your child's being bit. Or when you have the child that bite, you feel like such shame, like, how could I have done different? Right. You know, and it's developmentally appropriate. I mean, it is. And so it's like having, I think that perspective really helps because I've been there. Mm -hmm. Like, I get it. Like, I've been on both sides of a lot of things. I mean, and having my kids have gone there, I think, gives me that perspective to be able to say, like, I mean, my kids went here, too. I get it. Like, I would want the best for my kid, too. She's got a solid concept. When we get back, Kristen figures out how to grow quickly without taking on investors. Today's episode is made possible with support from the law firm of Best & Flanagan. Understand, identify, manage, protect, and realize the value of your intellectual property and other business assets. Expect a customized approach from Best & Flanagan, with legal advice carefully tailored to protect your interest within the context of your overall business strategy, goals, and vision. Best & Flanagan, a legal team dedicated to understanding where you want to go and helping you get there. Local advocacy and advice from lawyers you know. Online at bestlaw.com. Kristen looks back on some of her early mistakes and learnings and how she decided to franchise Tierra and Cantata. I spent a lot of money, a lot of money on a direct mailer <laughs> that got nothing and didn't use, you know, this is so early in like digital marketing, so I didn't lean on that like I should. And so I think how we market and communicate is so important. I think also uh standardization is maybe a good way to put it. You know, I didn't do a great job in those first years really like documenting SOPs, like how we do things. Hmm. And I think that is very helpful because it makes sure that everyone does the same thing, but does, you know, the right thing, like the good thing, like what you know is like the best way to do things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that has been, that has been really helpful. Um, And I think for, I think for starting centers, really like making sure you pick the right location mm-hmm. and more than just, you know, with the demographics too, but also, you know, when we're looking at states, I mean, there's some states where tuition rates are so low, which is great for parents, but what parents sometimes don't think about is the other side of that coin. Those wages are so low. Mm. And for us, we won't pay less than a living wage. We won't, whether it's in Texas or Minnesota, we will not. Mm-hmm. And so there are cities we won't, we aren't even looking at right now because the rates are so low and it wouldn't be able to support, you know, us offering paid parental leave and 401k and medical and dental and, you know. And, and did you do all of that from the start? Did you have all of those benefits? In sh- medical and dental, uh, the 401k added a few years ago, mm-hmm. um, but the paid leaves, the paid holidays, the full time. I think that's a big mm. thing. Most child care centers, they all send stuff home or cut them when they don't need them. But we've it's always guaranteed full time, mm. uh, which I think helps with retention. Yeah. So those are all things we started from from the beginning. So where was location number two? Uh, Minneapolis, Bryant in the Bryant neighborhood. So dead south. OK. 
And how did it go when you opened? I mean, how, what was it like transitioning from one to two? I mean, it went a lot better than the first. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, really in every way, because when you have one, you have, you know, a place you can train mm-hmm. staff. You have a leadership team that you can pull one from to open your second. So you have, you know, somebody that you know and know it does a good job that can open it. Mm-hmm. And with opening it, I mean, that one was profitable from the day it opened. Mm. And we had wait lists for infants within, I think, a couple months. Mm. I mean, and so it really was night and day, I mean, for how it opened. Interesting. And then how quickly did you go? You, are, you now have 11 open, well, many more in the works. I want to talk about that. but. But how quickly did you start opening centers? Uh, it got faster every year. So let's see, 13 was the first, 2016 was the second. I really didn't stop looking after that. So 2018 was the third largest one, double the size of the second. 2019 was the fourth, 2020, middle of the pandemic was mm. the fifth largest one yet. Pandemic didn't slow you down at all. No, that, and that was, uh, that was uh, $5 million, 22,000 square foot daycare. I mean, very risky. Very, so when the pandemic happened, I was, I was worried. <laughs> yeah. Where was that one? Uh, Minneapolis, right okay. off of Hiawatha. But no, I mean, we were able to adapt quickly and offer distance learning support rooms for older kids and stuff. Okay. But no, that was profitable the first year it opened. And our first franchisee opened in 2021. And then in 2022, we opened four corporate and one franchise. And uh, so, yeah, we just keep Keep going. Oh, mm-hmm. So uh, the banks are more responsive now? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I only, I've only worked with, I've worked with the same bank since the second project. I'm very loyal. Like if a bank is there for me, like, you know, if any vendors, like I want to stick with them and they've been there this whole time and they show like, you know, they trust me and they're very, they're a great partner. And so I haven't, I haven't even like sent our projects out to other banks. Hmm. At what point did you decide you were going to do franchising? This is a, 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 you're in a state with many successful examples. But what's interesting to me is that you continue, most of the time, when once a company decides to do franchise, they stop opening corporate locations. You're doing both. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, well, so I did not want to franchise initially. That was not what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have corporate locations. Um, the uh, the attorneys that I use for miscellaneous stuff, they one was like a franchise or a franchisee. I mean, they were very experienced in franchising. Mm-hmm. And my big concern was just with the brand being diluted, you know, the values. And uh, they talking to them, like they helped me understand, you know, how to, to put in safeguards for something like that. But I think, too, the big thing was looking at our growth. I mean, right now, if you look at the top 50 childcare providers, there is a list. Not a single one other than us. We're number 48. <laughs> not a single one is language immersion of any language. Really? Not a single one. And, and those are biggest in terms of number of children served or locations or? Uh, I believe they do it on children served. They have both listed on the list, both okay. number of locations and children served. But it's children served is, I think, how they rank it. Mm-hmm. And so none of them have that. And, you know, for us, like right now in the United States, there isn't a big Spanish immersion. Hmm. You know, I mean, there's only one that even has more locations than us and they don't even serve infants. And they, they I don't think they've opened a location in the last couple of years. And it's really surprising. I know. I know. And so for us, like, I think my goal is really to make sure that we are that one because, 
you know, a lot of when I look at some of our competitors and stuff, just, you know, with how they have their staffing or labor models with how staff are treated and and the benefit, like, I just feel like we we should be that one because we look at every we look at the customers, we look at our staff. I mean, I think we really encompass everything about being a good and responsible business. And so that is the goal, like to make sure we, you know, are that one. And so uh, I had been approached by people to franchise before. Hmm. And when I, you know, when I was thinking about this and growing, after talking to them, decided, okay, you know, we'd consider this, doing this and stuff. And so decided to do that in 2019. And our first franchise that opened actually was, it's two women, two amazing women that uh, were bankers. And one was actually a parent with us, one of the ones that had first ah, approached me about franchising. Interesting. Yep, yep. And so our first franchisee was that. And so we have been franchising and corporate through there because we want to grow. And to be honest, I think that it's really important as a franchisor to have corporate locations because you have to stay in touch with what's happening operationally with the center. And if you haven't opened a center or a store in 10 or 20 years, mm. how do you really kind of know what goes on in that process? How do you know like what the day-to-day is? Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to be able to like stand in someone's shoes and understand that. And so having corporate allows us to do that. And we test in our own centers then. We don't expect franchisees to just test stuff for us. Yeah. So organizationally, how do you manage both? I mean, is it one core? I know you have like 28 people at your kind of corporate headquarters for Tierra and Cantata. Are they overseeing all of it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So they're seeing all. So we have um, our chief growth officer focuses on franchising specifically, Mm -hmm. um, but we have departments that are more like shared services like marketing, for example, where they support both, you know, corporate operationally in terms of like the day-to-day of marketing and franchises in terms of like the copy, the resources, you know, the strategy, what we find, things mm-hmm. like that. Because when you start to franchise, I mean, that's a whole process and ordeal too, right? I mean, you basically have to write the handbook on everything you've done, which if you're, if it's corporate, you, you know that and you might not have to put it down. It kind of forces you to get really organized. Yes. Well, and that's really what spurred me hiring a bunch of staff, Mm. (laughs) you know, that changed to hiring about a bunch of staff. Because if I was going to ask people to risk their life savings on my business idea, I wanted to make sure that it was more than me. You know, like Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that they had a team of experts to support them. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what we've been focused on the last couple of years is building out like a really strong team. And, you know, like, for example, our director of construction design, I mean, he came from a concept that ha- he took, you know, he did 100 plus locations in a couple of years. I mean, very fast growth buildouts, 30 years experience, super great person. And so it's like finding those people so that our franchisees have the best possible support that they could. Overall, is it, um, I mean, less expense for you? Do, you? do you sort of sacrifice? I mean, is there less earning potential when you're the franchisor, but it's like a safer way to grow or faster? Or what, what would you say? Uh, I mean, about the pros and cons. Yeah. So with the franchise location, you, you obviously get significantly less revenue. Sure. But you also aren't in charge of operating it. Yeah. And so it doesn't take as much bandwidth. So, you know, there's challenges and rewards to both. Um, I think that franchising, for sure, I mean, I think it's 
easier to grow because in terms of bandwidth, you have your franchise partners that are kind of the project managers of opening their center with our support. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us too, I think with corporate locations, I mean, we can keep opening those too to continue that growth, like mm-hmm. to make sure we continue to grow. And so for control, I mean, I think, yeah, I think with corporate, you have a little bit more control in the speed at which you open because it's, you yeah. know, you're there doing it. Are you at this point, so you have nine corporate, two franchise that are open, but a bunch more franchises in the works, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we have over 20 more units sold that huh. aren't open yet across Amazing. a few states. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, you're in how many states overall right now? Right now we're in four. So okay. Texas, Virginia, Illinois, and Minnesota. Okay. Um, are you getting to the point where, I mean, are the are the potential franchisees coming to you? Do you feel like is the brand known or do you still have to kind of educate the market when you go in somewhere new? Definitely educate. If it's a market that we don't have a location and definitely educate, because I think it's it's more than just educate what we are, but it's educate what Spanish immersion is. Because I think a lot of people, when they see that initially, they think we're teaching Spanish. That's what they think we're teaching. And so it's kind of shifting the lens of which like it isn't teaching Spanish, it's teaching you know, STEAM curriculum in the language of Spanish. So it's educating what that is and looks like, but also who we are. Mm-hmm. You're, when kids come out of Tierra and Cantata and they go to kindergarten then, right? I mean, are they fluent? Are they completely bilingual? Yes. Uh, in the level of language that age would know. Sure. So, you know, if because the teachers are only talking to them in Spanish. And mm-hmm. so uh, actually, it's funny. We have parents that have like left reviews about their children translating for them in Central America. Mm. You know, and so, yes, they are. They are bilingual as long as they, you know, start by like two, three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bilingual. I mean, bilingual in the way where they don't even have to think about it. But even kids, when they start, say, four and spend a year and a half or two years, they still are very good at Spanish. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Other than that small business loan that you talked about early on, have you had to take on any investors or more money, or have you been able to, to fund it with what you've already made? We have not taken on any investors. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so I am the sole shareholder, but mm-hmm. we, I did do stock options because Again, we have an amazing team, and I want to make sure that they experience, you know, the the rewards of our hard work. Yeah. But no, I have not taken on any outside investors. Incredible. How big do you think this becomes? What are your goals? You know, our goal is to be in the top five by 2030. So, you know, that'd be 250 plus locations by then. And I mean, I think we definitely can do it. Yeah, so you're on pace for that. Mm-hmm. What is it going to take from you and in terms of like the, the structure and support you need to get that big? Oof. I mean, structure and support, I think it will definitely take a lot more staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, definitely a lot more staff. I mean, I think it's going to take a lot of capital too. I mean, the rate at which you grow, if you grow faster through corporate, then it's very capital intensive. Mm -hmm. You know, if you grow really fast through franchising, it is capital intensive, but it depends on the pace. Because if it is, you know, say you all of a sudden have 100 franchisees sign on. I mean, you need a lot of staff to provide a quality level of support. And the franchise fee from 100 people, you know, 
what I've done, you know, I invested in staff. But if you don't, you know, then you can not have the money to support them properly. Mm -hmm. And so I think really it's going to come down to making sure that we are very, you know, we take advantage of technology when we can to be very efficient and effective. We use data, you know, data-driven decisions and be very, you know, intentional with our hires as we build out the infrastructure to ensure that both our families, but also our employees and our franchisees receive the quality of support and care that they deserve. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk for a minute about staffing because, you know, we hear and read all the time about what a crisis there is in daycare. The prices are so expensive to the point that people are making a decision not to work because they can't afford daycare and getting uh, getting daycare teachers can be such a challenge. You have added the fact that they obviously have to be fluent in Spanish on top of that. Has that been a challenge for you? I mean, it depends on the state. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think Minnesota, Minnesota has a lot of Spanish immersion. Mm-hmm. And it's really great in that. You know, we talk to people around the country and everybody's just like, wow, like Minnesota has so many. And it is. It's very interesting. And so I think in Minnesota specifically, it can be more challenging to find educators. I think that we fare better than most, though, because of the benefits and the Mm. wages that we have, you know, and so and the staffing model. I mean, because our staffing model, because of the benefits and the pay time off we provide, we always have, you know, we have the dedicated classroom teachers, but we also have multiple flow teachers and a director and assistant director and our culinary staff. And where a lot of centers, they won't have any floats and the director will be the only person, but they'll kind of back up as a teacher. And so because we have all these layers, it allows us to be able to kind of flex if there's openings. Mm-hmm. And um, But how are you able to do it? How are you able to afford it? Or I mean, are you just are you charging a lot or are your rates higher than your competitors? No, no, no. They're in Minnesota. No. In Minnesota, we're actually um, because I always try to keep rates low, you know, low like we we. Every year when we, when we look at this, we look, okay, what was the average uh, pay increase over the last year for teachers? Like, what have some of our expenses have gone up? We, look at, we try to look at this because we're trying to keep it as low as possible. And because of that, though, we are v- very much less expensive. I mean, hmm. for example, uh, there's this big brand in Egan uh, that you know, it's very well known and they are charging four forty eight for toddlers. Whereas that's per month, per, per week, week. Per week, per week. Yeah. Oh, well we're four fifteen. So we are substantially less. Yeah. Mm. We're providing, you know, these elevated meals like couscous with tofu and quinoa with avocado, language immersion, you know, and so and we're doing this with our staff. Hmm. You know, we're paying more. And so it's you know, we So do you have to just be willing to accept a little less I mean yeah. profit? Basically, yeah. I mean, we could make a lot more if we charged more or paid less. But again, it's about like what sort of business person you want to be, you know? I mean, do you need to take everything off the, you know, off the shoulders of everyone else? Or do you want to kind of try to be fair with everyone and still be able to, you know, have a very profitable business? Hmm. So if you were appointed by by the governor, by the you know federal government to to solve the the daycare you know situation in this country, what would you do? What would you advise? <laughs> you make it seem so easy. <laughs> I think that I think that what I would look at is I think that a voucher. So 
the cost thing is tough because, again, it, it goes back to wages, you mm-hmm. know. And so I think that of all the different things that people have talked about, I think the best approach personally is looking at more of something like a voucher program because, you know, what has been hap- or what's happened with, what, you know, kindergarten when it first came out is the schools just did it. But the problem is, is there are so many unique things that early education centers offer. Some are Montessori. You know, some are, you know, German immersion or Chinese immersion or Spanish immersion. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many different really cool things that people can choose. And when you move it to a public school model, you take away some of those opportunities. And so I think that if we look at more of like a voucher program, and that's kind of happened a little bit with Think Small, with Think Small Scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something like that, if we're going to subsidize childcare, that is a better route because it still allows families to choose where they would like to go yeah. and use it in that place. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, that you own some of the buildings where your daycares are. Um, and I know that's just tip of the iceberg. You're a bit of a, a real estate tycoon in, in your <laughs> spare time. Um, how did did that just evolve as a means to an end, or was that another interest, or how'd you get into it? Yeah, because you have uh, what 150 thousand square feet of all commercial real estate that you own yep. and manage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, initially, I think it was just sensical. You know, when you have a business. And you look at what you pay for rent, and it could be the same, sometimes even less to buy it. Mm-hmm. And so the first buildings, you know, were ones that I owned, and I worked, I had my business in. Um, but as you know, as we've grown, I definitely am interested in that, you know, in that more. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of cases, to develop it, to have something that maybe part of it I'll have in it. You know, perfect example like our corporate office. You know, that building is massive and, you know, half of it's rented out. But I think for real estate, I mean, I think it's a good investment, but not at the cost of the business. Because if you look at the return, the business returns more of your capital for what you put into it initially, whereas the real estate, the return is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. You have an asset, but it's a lot lower. And so, you know, if the choice is between the two, I'd always choose the business. but. And that's why, to be honest, like right now, we are focusing mainly on growing, like in doing leases versus buying because it's so capital intensive to buy only when it makes sense. But I try to negotiate like an option to purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a good investment. You didn't go to business school. No. How did you learn all of this? A lot of research. Yeah. A lot. Of, honestly, I mean, again, like I, I want to know and understand everything. I mean, and I'll give you the perfect example of this. When we had our Hiawatha project, I had a inspector come out and he wanted us to change uh, how the gutters were coming down. And it wasn't a small change. It was a $30,000 change, what Mm. he had asked us to do. Mm -hmm. But they had already approved the plans. And he's like, nope, you got to do it. And I got on the phone, talked to the city. I was like, show me in the code or it says this. And it didn't. And it's like, you can't you can't make somebody do something that isn't in the code. Hmm. And they ended up backing off. But it's like a lot of people, they are just like, oh, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And, but for some people, that could break their business. Yeah. You know, and I think it's so powerful. Like knowledge is power. Like it truly is. And so whenever something like that comes up, I always want to know. I want to know, you know, the accessibility code. I want to understand it. And so I think that's how I've learned yeah. this because I'll hear something and I want to read where that came from. I want to read the statute. I want to read the code. I want to understand it 
because then I'll know for next time. And you're willing to put in the time. Not everybody is. Yes. I think that's what differentiates you as well. So uh, do you find yourself these days so consumed with growing this business that you don't have time to think about other things? Or is there always like another 10 ideas that you're entertaining? Oh, there's always a lot of ideas. (laughs) There's always a lot of ideas. I am opening a different brand daycare. Uh, So we'll be opening that in Oakdale. Oh. Yep, yep. So that'll be opening uh, hopefully next fall. What is that going to be called and how is it different? uh, So that'll be, it's Marlis and it is going to be, it won't be language immersion. Uh, So just to back up for a second. So There's a lot of, we've been contacted by a lot of like maybe rural, there's a shortage, especially in rural Mm -hmm. or exurban areas, but you, it's very difficult to put a language immersion because you need to, you need to staff it. Yeah. And so part of it is work, like a concept that we can help bring to areas with the shortage, but the curriculum is more focused on kind of like the fundamentals or the foundations of entrepreneurship. And so you know, looking at um, finance and character education, um, just that. So it's more focused on those sorts of things and hmm. like Montessori-esque, I guess you could say. Do you mean for the students or for the people who work there? The students. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So like there'll be a little, uh, we, we haven't decided the exact name of it yet, but it'll be like a little selling booth where each curriculum quarter hmm. will have like a unit where we have a practice kitchen for the kids you know, making cookies and, and for the older kids, of course, like, but just to kind of teach them some of the fundamentals mm-hmm. of those elements. Wow. So you're you're going to test this concept in Oakdale, but the idea would be that maybe you bring it to more mm-hmm. rural communities mm-hmm. around the country. Mm-hmm. Wow. And do you run that under the same uh, business as Tierra and Cantata or is it a totally separate enterprise? Separate entity. Wow. And you have employees for that already? Nope. It's just me. But but I am using my team. Mm-hmm. So I'm, when do you sleep? <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I I get like six hours. I yeah. mean, I'm I don't know. I don't need a ton of sleep. And uh-huh. I think here's the thing. I I really love what I do, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't feel like work. And it sounds like silly, but I actually genuinely do. Like I actually genuinely love what I do. And I mean, I have no joke. Like spreadsheets of business ideas like every day I feel like I'm adding to this and so it's just I don't know I just love doing that stuff. Do you see yourself doing a a bunch more businesses and in different fields or do you feel like you're going to be this is daycare is your have you found your passion? I would I definitely found my passion but I wouldn't say it will be the only sector I'd be in I mean there's there's a lot of other, you know, things that looking at from products to, you know, doing more. So I've invested in several companies. And so, you know, looking more at something like that, like an incubator, you know, to help other entrepreneurs start their businesses and stuff. And so there's, I mean, there's so many things that I want to do and not just in education. Wow. When you think about where you are now and, and what, you know, back when you wanted to be a lawyer and, and you were working in nonprofits, I mean, what do you what do you think? What is this? Could you ever have imagined that this is where you would be before you're 40? <laughs> no, I mean, no, because I think. I don't think I thought like that big scale until we got more and more locations, because just, I'm just thinking about like the next thing, like, OK, I'm going to get this next center, you know, and as we grew, then it's like, OK, wow, like this is something we can really make great and stuff. And so, no, I mean, I definitely. 
I definitely did not did not think that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're having fun. Yes. <laughs> totally. So to somebody who's listening is like, oh my gosh, you know, I want to do what she's doing. What what's what's your best advice as far as what what to look for, what to go into, or just how to get going? I would say ugh, the number one thing is just do it because I think so many people they think about doing something for so long and just don't do it. And I think too, there's so many resources available. You know, I'm on the I'm on the board of Women Venture, and I mean, there's classes. If I would have taken one of their classes, I would have absolutely did better with Egan mm. than I did. I mean, hmm. I just think there's so many resources that people can take advantage now. But I think the biggest thing is don't don't wait because you're not going to get everything right. I mean, you're going to make a ton of mistakes and it's okay because you learn from them. I mean, I have made so many mistakes, Mm -hmm. but you know what? I don't regret them because I learned each time what to do differently and better. Right. How's your Spanish these days? Puedo hablar en español. Well, look for a Tierra and Cantata in a community near you. Coming soon, no doubt. Kristen is definitely in expansion mode with this and her next daycare concept. She is such an entrepreneurial thinker. She sees a problem. She develops a solution and goes for it. For more perspective on that entrepreneurial mindset, let's go back to the classroom with the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. We are lucky to have Associate Dean Danielle Campo joining us to talk about this. So I'm curious, you, you, you hear someone like Kristen talk and it's just like, wow, everywhere she looks, she sees opportunities. What does that tell us? Absolutely, Allison. It was very clear that Kristen has what, what we like to refer to here at the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship as the true entrepreneurial mindset. An individual who is able to really uh, see opportunity in the space and take it and, and move on with it. What's, what's very wonderful about Kristen is that it's clear to me that she has deep curiosity especially when you're launching a business with lack of expertise or in an area that's completely new. What we try to work with students on too at at the university is developing that sense of curiosity. Curiosity and that willingness to develop expertise allows individuals to start to dig in. And again, it was clear that she had a passion and identified a problem in her own life and saw an opportunity there. One way or one reason that a lot of businesses tend to fail is because of lack of product market fit. And it was clear here that she understood that there was an opportunity based on the problems that she was experiencing herself and was able to run with it. So you, you've got to you, you have that fundamental curiosity. That's a great base. But then it's doing the homework to make sure that it's more than just a, a fun idea. There's really a, a need for what you're doing. Exactly. And in addition, the entrepreneurial mindset, those that think with that entrepreneurial curiosity have an understanding that diverse viewpoints and that collaboration with partners is key to their success. It's another way that individuals can fill in the knowledge gaps that they may have is finding and networking with key partners that can fill in those areas of expertise for them. And then it takes that perseverance, right? Put together a team and then persevere and really run with it. And don't take no for an answer, right? A no today is not necessarily a no tomorrow. Those that are entrepreneurial thinkers recognize that and they're going to persevere through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think um, Kristen 
knew about herself that she was an entrepreneurial thinker long before this business. Obviously, she had started other businesses, too, and that was just kind of her approach to every problem she saw, find the solution. Do you believe, I know that you literally study this, are entrepreneurs born or can anybody train themselves to do this? That's great. The million-dollar question, Allison, and a question that I love. Being an entrepreneurship educator, I am fully on the side that we can help train and develop entrepreneurial thinkers. Absolutely. Now, are there certain characteristics that individuals are born with that may set them on a path to be a bit more successful? Sure. And I think the literature supports that. But absolutely, we believe that we can help develop the mindset of an entrepreneur, whether it's how to persevere, how to push past failure being more acceptable, accepting of risk-taking as well as action-oriented, right? You don't have to have a perfect prototype or minimum viable product. Just get it out there and start testing it in the market and gather feedback. Those are absolutely skills that we can educate individuals on, that we can develop, and that we work side-by-side with them on. Can you teach someone to be less risk-adverse, or is that something you have to be born with? No, I think risk taking and risk aversion is also there are also skills that's a skill set that can be learned some of it comes down to practice and experience mm. and again in at the university of st thomas we value experiential learning we really truly believe that the best way to learn is by actually doing it and you can increase your tolerance for risk by get, putting yourself out there by actually experiencing the acts of entrepreneurship getting out there and talking to people so i absolutely believe that there are ways that we can help develop risk aversion or risk-taking tendencies in in individuals. I love it. And you actually have a, you can actually measure it, right? Tell, Tell us about the innovation index. Absolutely. There are some really interesting new tools on the market and instruments that can be used to measure and track innovation mindset and the entrepreneurial mindset. The Berkeley Innovation Index is one free tool that's out there on the market. In addition, there are additional tools called the Entrepreneurial Mindset Profile. I'm in the process of getting certified in that program as well. And so there are great ways that we can measure entrepreneurial and innovation mindset. And then those assessments can also be used for a tool for us to be able to reflect on our skill sets and find ways that we can develop that to become more entrepreneurial. Well, great perspective and some hope for those of us who maybe don't have quite Kristen's instinct to just go for it, but would sure like to. Thanks for your time, Danielle. And thank you again to our presenting partner, the University of St. Thomas Schultz School of Entrepreneurship. If you want to know more about the show, go to tcbmag.com slash by all means. And thanks again for listening to By All Means. takes teamwork to make By All Means, and we've got some all-stars. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tom Ferlitti. Digital support is Ricky Hannigan and Dan Nepo. Thanks to the University of St. Thomas Opus College of Business and Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, especially Dean Laura Dunham for all their support. Our theme music is by Song Finch. Thank you for listening to By All Means. (laughs) 